0: We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton Today.
2: I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ten and Diana are in the newsroom. Ken and Lisa are on the street. And Will is on the board. The two Michaels are free. Time to celebrate democracy. Here's
3: Scott Thompson.
0: Good afternoon. It was three. It is 309. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, obviously, Kurt, unaware of the, uh, of the lineup change, uh, late in the day. And Lisa filling in for Diana. Uh, so how was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend?
2: Oh, it was great. Yeah. I, um, really didn't do a whole lot of anything. And, uh, that's the that's way a I pretty went.
0: good weekend. <laughs>
2: After busy, like a busy news week, kind of, you know, when everything's just happening and it feels like your brain is just going nonstop, it's nice to just kind of turn your brain off and just binge some Netflix. I've been watching Midnight Mass. That's a very good show.
0: Nice. So uh, that being said, big story over the weekend with the two Michaels. Man, it was gripping to watch them land and uh, all of what happened and transpired after that. What an incredible weekend.
2: Yeah, well, thank goodness they're safe. I mean, it's you know, it's been a long time coming and it's uh, it's a relief that they're going to be OK now.
0: It was bizarre to see them land and 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 hug with people and such and come over and talk. I mean, my goodness, it was uh, it it almost sent chills down your spine to, to see them because it, at one point we thought this was you know months, weeks, at least away, and then all of a sudden, uh, blammo, it happens overnight. Uh, are you surprised? You must be surprised. And as a news person who's been covering this story for a bazillion years. Uh, it's almost kind of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's very bizarre. It's almost uh, like it's not happening.
2: Well, you know, we, we it, it seemed like there was going to be no good news for the longest time. Yeah. And and I mean, the re- reversal of fortunes for these two, it's just, I, I, I'm sure their families are relieved and just so grateful. And especially, you know, any Canadians abroad who had concerns about, you know, stuff like this happening to them. That's, it's, it's a good news story all around at this point.
0: Yeah, gonna be fascinating to see what happens moving forward, uh, and, uh, and how this, uh, helps, hurts, uh, hopefully improves, uh, relations, w- uh, relationships with China and the United States and, and everybody, uh, all involved. Fascinating how, uh, China is, uh, selling this back home and how they're saying they released the two Michaels because of, uh, health conditions. And, uh, we haven't heard a lot about the two Michaels at this point. You know, it's been relatively, uh, their interviews have been relatively short and, and surface, but it, it certainly appears that their health is fine, although, uh, again, we don't have any great detail on that. So, uh, fascinating watching them spin it in their direction. And the big question now that the Michaels are home, what happens with Huawei 5Gs? Of course, uh, the rest of the five eyes all declaring they were not using Huawei because of its relationship with the Chinese Communist Party, yet Canada. Has, uh, has, has stayed, uh, has stayed, uh, quiet on all of this and has not given a decision. It'll be fascinating to see if this, in fact, uh, does anything to speed up that, that decision. Uh, global news was talking with Carmi Levy, tech analyst. And now that the two Michaels have been returned, is this going to, uh, somehow push this case forward and our decision regarding the 5G network?
4: There is no upside to saying yes to Huawei at this point. It's all downside. I think the answer is going to be a no. I think if it's a yes, it's almost like the government deliberately wants to taunt Canadians, but I don't think they're, they would be that essentially, you know, deaf to Canadian will. And to frankly, where the winds are blowing globally, Canada is going to align with its five ICE partners and with every other country that you know recognizes the existential threat that Chinese technology represents to uh, our freedom to share information without worrying that the Chinese government is spying on us.
0: So, Carmi brings up a very valid point. You know, the question is, when are we going to uh, make a decision? Are we going to keep Huawei? When really the question is, why would we? There's no advantage. Uh, to, to keeping Huawei or, 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 or using Huawei when again, our other eyes ha- have insisted that they are not for obvious security reasons. So really, what's in this for us? Um, cheap data at the price of the two Michaels or anything else that the Chinese Communist Party comes up with. So really, I think the question is, why would we at this point? And there are other alternatives as Carmi Levy explains.
4: If every other member of the Five Eyes partnership has already said, you know, the U.S., Britain, Australia, New Zealand, no Huawei. If Japan and Taiwan uh, have also shut Huawei out over security concerns, it's a pretty slam dunk decision for Canada to make. Why would Canada be any different? Why would we willingly expose ourselves to this kind of risk? And, of course, there are other alternatives. Huawei, along with Ericsson, along with Samsung, Nokia and others These are the major companies that are bidding for all these billions of dollars in business to be able to install and maintain that equipment. And of course, there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, it's a Chinese company. They're essentially in bed with the Communist Party of China. They have to hand over all that data. Do we want to run our 5G networks based on technology supplied by a company that is so tightly connected to the Chinese government? And now that the two Michaels are home, that's the question the Canadian government has to wrestle with.
0: And of course, how does how 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 does this change Canada's Canadians' opinion of the Chinese Communist Party? Um, because many were saying, "Well, this is just because the U.S. doesn't want Huawei in, and they can do it cheaper," and blah 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 blah, and that this was not hostage diplomacy. That uh, who knows what these two Michaels were up to. Uh, And again, even China right up till uh, very recently saying that this had nothing that these two uh, Michaels that were being held had nothing to do with, uh, of course, the the uh, the whole case involving sending uh, the Huawei executive to the United States and in fact she had been provided with a deferred prosecution agreement a few times and decided instead just to run the Canadian court system uh, to its brink till 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 she finally had no other options and then took a deferred prosecution agreement so once that deal is made and once the two Michaels are back home is there really any need to you know constantly um, begged to China for uh their forgiveness that we took I guess the equivalent of Elon Musk and 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 had her in a very n- nice uh, I guess confined environment in her 14 million dollar mansion uh for just under 3 years while well, the two Michaels were basically under a staircase so it'll be fascinating to see now if it is hostage diplomacy if in fact canadians opinions do change on the chinese communist party moving forward and what our new relationship will be and the rest of the world is also waiting let's bring in phil gursky president of borealis threat and risk consulting director of the university of ottawa security program former CSIS analyst and with us now phil thanks for the time i hope you're well
5: Yeah, very well Scott. how are you
0: Good. Thanks for uh, taking the time. But what were your thoughts over the weekend as you were seeing all of this uh, unfold and, and, and really none of us knowing much about it? What were your thoughts?
5: Well, oh, I'm incredibly happy for the family. I think you saw the reaction of the wives and other members. They were absolutely ecstatic to get their you know, their husbands and their fathers and things back. So a great day for the families. But I think, as you said in your introduction, uh, a lot of questions still left about what's next kind of thing. So let's celebrate the moment for what it is but let's now turn to what has to happen now to figure out where Canada goes in its relationship with China.
0: So what is your biggest concern for them now arriving back here after what they've been through? And what's your greatest concern for the country moving forward? Let's start with the two Michaels.
5: Well, obviously they've been under a tremendous ordeal, as you said, for more than a thousand days now, and and that's going to take an awful lot of recovery time. Thankfully, Uh, There are professionals who can deal, you know, it's like people that dealt with former hostages, for example, to try to, you know, reintegrate them into society. It's going to have to be gradual because they've been, you know, subject to horrendous conditions for so long. So I'm confident that, you know, that it will be okay eventually, but they need their time. On the national front, I'm not sure what to make of this. I do know that Canadian governments of both political stripes have ignored the fact that China's been messing around in, in Canada for decades now. Is this finally the, the the one lesson Scott that teaches the, the Trudeau liberals that maybe we have to you know develop a different policy a different approach to China? I sincerely hope so, but I'm I can't say I'm all that confident in that regard.
0: It appears our allies are also waiting for the same thing.
5: Yeah, and you know you talked about Huawei and you talked about you know 5G and the Huawei of course wants to play a major role in Canada's 5G system. All of our allies, to the best of my knowledge, especially the so-called Five Eyes allies. Have said uh, no, thank you. We'll, we'll do with other competitors and other companies. Canada has waffled on this and has waffled for quite some time. If this thing, Scott, if the fact that China kidnapped, which is the proper word, the two Michaels for for three years, tied to the you know the the legal detention of Meng Wanzhou because of allegations the Americans had, if Canada doesn't react to this in a way that is not only in concert with our the best advice from our allies, but really you know I don't know make or Creates a lesson for how China can operate at an international level, that I will be not just dismayed but very disappointed in the Trudeau government.
0: Uh, it seems now there the real question is what reason would we have to keep Huawei?
5: I, I would think that way, I, and I bet you, Scott, thirty-seven million Canadians think the same way that you and I do right now. And so I think the government will have to do incredible conniptions to try and say, well, you know, they're still going to be part of the the bidding process or part of part of the actual infrastructure. At a minimum, I would think that most Canadians would demand that this particular participation ends right now with respect to Huawei. Uh, it, it, it's the least that we need to do. And, and let's face it, there are other companies out there, including many Western companies. Now, I'm not a technician, so don't, don't quote me on this, that can equally offer the services that Huawei reported to offer. So I'd be very surprised and disappointed If the Trudeau government does not immediately say, okay, Huawei, you're out. We're going to talk to Ericsson or Nokia or whoever else builds these kinds of systems and not reward China for its, let's face it, schoolyard bullying tactics over the past three years.
0: So uh, China said that it released the two Michaels for health reasons. Uh, Why did it release them so quickly?
5: Oh, what a great question. You know, I I can't read Chinese minds, but maybe this is a, a, a real paltry, insufficient way to say that they are members of the international community and they do follow the rules, which they haven't been following for the past three years. By the way, maybe they felt there's nothing else to gain from this. But the fact that they were they were released right after Meng Wanzhou was released, you're telling me there's, there's not a one-to-one relationship between those two? Of course there is. I don't know. Maybe they, they felt there's nothing nothing left to gain, and you know, it, it, it dig us up. Let's just release them and try to go back to normal. But yeah, I mean, trying to discern Chinese thoughts, God, it's a, a pay grade much above mine right now to figure that out. Uh
0: but you know everyone always says or has said for the for the last several decades you know we have to do more to understand china and where it's coming from uh does china have any idea or do they care that what they have done has now just lit a fuse as far as confirming this it was in fact Everything they said it wasn't in hostage diplomacy. I mean, we're all trying to understand them. Do they have Do they have any foggy idea what their image is here, or do they care?
5: I don't think they care. You look at what China's done in Southeast Asia with the so-called Nine Dash Line in the South China Sea, where they're essentially taking over. They're building artificial reefs to claim it's all part of Chinese territorial waters. You look at the Belt Road Initiative that is, uh, you know, basically mortgaging third world countries to Chinese favor. You look at the fact that they've been harassing Uyghur canadians and tibetan canadians for for years now i don't think they care i think that china sees itself on the ascendant it, you listen to xi jinping the leader and, and what he's been saying they see this as china's century and i don't think they, they give a rat's posterior what we think of them i think they, they see it as a federal complete they'll play by the rules when it suits their advantage but when it doesn't um they'll just go their own way again i'm not a china specialist so i'd be really be careful here but from what i've read I don't think that what we see as the international order and the rule book by which we should all be playing, I don't think China you know, will give a wit of, of, of consideration to any of that right now, because they figure they've already won. They've won economically, and they're winning technologically and scientifically. Why do they care what we think?
0: Uh, do you think we will see a decision on, on 5G and Huawei sooner rather than later? As we said, you'd think this would sort of uh, speed things up. Will this happen quickly, do
5: you think? I hope so. I don't know about any particular penalties that the government may incur by, let's say, ruling Huawei out at this stage. And I'm sure there's lawyers lined up between you and me and you and Hamilton, and me and Ottawa, Scott, trying to, you know, get in on this one. So I'm not sure what the, what the ground rules are in terms of this, but I think at a minimum um, that the Trudeau government has to acquiesce to what uh, a lot, 37 million angry Canadians want them to take action on China. So if they care at all about their image in the wake of an indecisive election last Monday, I'm hoping we see action sooner rather than later. But I wouldn't bet the mortgage.
0: So we only got about 30 seconds left. The worldview, everybody recognizing this now that this does confirm hostage diplomacy, how does this change the worldview of China?
5: Hopefully for the negative, and as I've been saying to you on many occasions, Scott, um, China's not our friend, not our ally, and it's not an ally of the West either. We have a lot of partners around the world and who trust us a great deal. We have a good reputation. We should work with our allies and, and try to push back against China because they're not in our best interest.
0: Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program, former CSIS analyst. Phil, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be
5: well. You too, Scott. Take care.
0: All right. Uh, lots to talk about and still to come on the show, including more on the two Michaels. Uh, China has said they released them. Uh, it's not hostage diplomacy at all. It's because uh, health. That's it. Health reasons they, um they've let them go, uh, and, and say that it has uh, absolutely nothing to do with the unlawful detainment of the Huawei CFO, and that's the way they're calling it. And also the big questions now, where does this leave Canada and its Huawei, uh, 5G? uh commitments is it worth uh moving forward and is there any reason now come to you know when you stop to ponder it and also the green party leader has resigned Anime paul has stepped down uh extremely smart lady but couldn't make it work with the green party i think proving that there's just as many extreme wackos on the left as there is on the right uh this is Anime paul asking herself why move on with all of this
1: ask myself whether this is Um, Something that I wanted to continue, whether I was willing to continue to put up with uh, the attacks I knew would be coming, um, whether to continue to have to fight and struggle uh, just to fulfill my democratically elected role as leader of this party. And I just I just don't have the, the heart for it.
0: Which is too bad when you think about it, because whether you believe in her political, uh, or believe in her political aspirations or or even those of her party, uh, you have to admit this is a pretty strong and intelligent woman, and I have to believe that she will be picked up by somebody uh, and, and have a great future, uh, hopefully in politics. But uh, no matter what she decides to do, but it was fascinating. I mean, they they cut back on her funding, and uh, this is the leader talking about not given the opportunity to lead.
1: I don't have any regrets about having gone through uh, the election, uh, but I do have to recognize uh, that it is quite clear to me that I am not going to have the opportunity to lead. I have not been given that opportunity and I will not be given that opportunity. Uh, I just will not spend any more time uh, focused on political games as opposed to uh, public policy, which is what I entered politics for in the first place. Uh, what people need to, to realize is that uh, when I was elected uh, and put in this role, I was um, breaking a glass ceiling. Um, what I didn't realize at the time is that I was breaking a glass ceiling that was going to fall on my head and leave a lot of shards of glass that I was going to have to crawl over um, you know, throughout my time as a leader.
0: There you have it. Sounds like a broken spirit, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, most people enter into politics with uh, great intention and then just get chewed up by the machine and unfortunately uh, she was chewed up by her own party it'll be fascinating to see uh, where enemy paul uh, ends up moving forward let's bring in michael tobe troy media syndicated columnist contributor to the washington times former speech writer for stephen harper joins hamilton today along with scott will and lisa and ted welcome michael hope you're doing well
6: hey scott how are you
0: I can't, I'm doing fine, thank you. Can't get started without asking you your thoughts on what transpired over the weekend as we all saw the two Michaels land and, and your concern moving forward with that.
6: Yeah, I mean, obviously, no matter what concerns we have, especially when it comes related to China, I mean, obviously, everyone was in a celebratory mood, and they should be. It's wonderful that the two Michaels finally came back after 1,020 days in captivity. I mean, that's, that's over three years. It's just It's just frightening to think how long they were in jail for, or if you really want to say it's a Chinese prison, which sometimes has been associated, and I've used the term with you, as a death camp, which in many cases it is. Look, obviously, I'm obviously very happy they're home. All Canadians are happy they're home, and I hope that their lives are able to pick up as best they can and as quickly as they can, and I'm sure they'll be doing, as they've already done, a series of interviews and more in-depth interviews where they discuss some things that they feel comfortable in discussing, or if they choose not to, that's their right too. Because they've been through an experience that all of us would never want to go through.
0: Well, uh, will we eventually? Will we eventually hear of what it was like for them in prison? Will we get those details?
6: Well, if you use the example, for, for example, of uh, William Sampson many years ago, um, it's possible that they might discuss it if they're willing to. There are some people who go through things and understandably, you know, there's been an enormous amount of hardship. There could be violence, physical violence, yeah. mental violence. And it just may be things that, you know, trigger them in certain ways with bad memories, bad dreams. And they may just not want to discuss anything. And that's respectable. And we have to respect that. I mean, it was their experience, not ours. I hope they are willing to discuss certain things here and there because at least it'll give us a little bit of insight as to what happened from their perspective and sort of on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, and unfortunately year-to-year basis. But if they choose not to, Scott, that's certainly up to them.
0: Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Green Party uh, leader resigning uh, it, it's funny, because when we hear about extremists, everybody points to the right. There's wacko extremists on the right, and I guess we're finding out that there's racism and homophobia on the extreme left as well. Uh, your thoughts on what has happened here and, and her stepping down? Oh, there's plenty on the left. The only people who deny it typically are those on the left, but it, yeah. it's fair. But but to be
6: fair, not to be you know too wildly partisan, the moderate left or, or center left would also acknowledge that, too, that there's a lot of fellow travelers so to speak who are problematic and yes you're right we saw that in the green party of canada based on all the enormous amount of party infighting that occurred between well soon to be former leader enemy paul and the green party itself from membership to the executives it was just disastrous i mean we don't have to go through every single iota i'm sure we'll discuss certain issues here and there but i mean the real key is when she came out today And announced her resignation you know she basically said and i'm just looking for the direct quote because i think really that more than anything is emblematic of what she felt there's a there's a series of video clips you can actually see it here and there here it is so basically the key phrase that she said was that after all these battles after all this infighting you know when it came down to the fact that she want you know holding on to her party leadership and having to obviously face a leadership review after a to be fair, disastrous performance in the federal election, where they only held on to two seats, but ended up with roughly about, I think, 2.3% of the popular vote, which is the lowest they've been in several elections. I think not since the 1980s have they been that low. Um, she basically just said, you know, quote, unquote, I don't have the heart for it. Yeah. She, she was so bad, she, you know, so you know, she just went through so many battles, so many struggles, and even though initially she didn't talk about it in the beginning, if you remember those pressers she had you know, a couple months ago where she just didn't want to get into it, she was far more honest and direct on this one because clearly she's had enough. And really, who can blame her? She deserved a much better fate than this.
0: So what about the future of her moving forward and the future of this party? Well,
6: the future of her is a good question. And obviously, I don't know her, and I don't know the people around her, and I don't know who she trusts exactly but i think certainly within the green party of canada or green party circles i think that her career is probably finished i don't think there is anything left i mean the green party was never you know a very powerful you know huge mainstream organization never has been but clearly it has evolved or devolved into something which is far worse you know you said it right uh through the intro for this segment which is that we discovered that the Green Party of Canada has a lot of hatred, racism, and other things that are going on in it. And while people don't necessarily associate that with the political left, unfortunately, it's there and it's always been there. So for her, I mean, if the party exists the way it exists, and if the people are there who basically turfed her out or at least forced her hand and for her to decide, I've had enough, I can't take this anymore, which most normal people would have decided even earlier than that, um, I just don't think there's much of a future there for her to try to come back. I mean, the only way she could have done this and changed things was to stay there and fight. But clearly, either, as she, you know, she said, she didn't have the heart for it. She didn't want to continue doing it. Or she just realized privately that there was no way to accomplish it. Do
0: you, so you think her, another pol- do you think another political party will pick her up, Michael?
6: Yeah, in a long winded fashion, that's
0: where I was going with it. Mm-hmm. I think
6: they will. I think that certainly for the Liberals or the NDP, this is an incredible opportunity, a golden one, in fact. I mean, for Justin Trudeau, who has had so much trouble, all self-caused by himself, with female MPs, or mostly female MPs, including cabinet ministers who've left him, I'm not saying NME Paul is going to willingly jump into his arms, you know, is, is sort of in a political fashion, but the Liberal Party is certainly an open place for her, and I think they would give her a good role, but the NDP could be actually kind of fascinating very quickly, Scott, because I think Jagmeet Singh is going to be one of the next leaders to sort of face a major leadership review and who knows, might get turfed out by, via this. That would be a natural place for her if she feels that the NDP and, and the, the social democratic theories that they espouse would mesh with her own. So I think her career could still continue on. It's just a question of whether this experience was so bad that she just doesn't yeah. want to carry on.
0: Good point. Hopefully she does. Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media syndicated uh, columnist, contributor to The Washington Times, and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. As always, Michael, thanks so much for your time. Be well.
6: My pleasure. You too.
7: I just want to say
0: thank you very much to all Canadians for the enormous support uh, and uh, all the effort that uh, so many people have made to help bring Michael Spavor and me home. Uh, It it was really moving and knowing that so many people knew about the situation, cared about the situation, really helped us get through a very difficult time. I am so delighted to be back home with my family uh, and to be back in Canada. And I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with friends and family and finally getting out and seeing all the beauty of Canada. Uh, So I am immensely happy and thank you so much. That's Michael Kovrig uh, and his family speaking with Globals, Mercedes Stevenson on the West Block from his sister's home in Toronto over the course uh, of the weekend. And, and as we saw these clips and, and these families being reunited and such, it was, um, it was you could see, you could feel the joy uh, moving across the country. Uh, joining us at the roundtable right now, Ted Michaels and Lisa Polesky with us. Uh, obviously, you two, you saw this happening over the weekend. Uh, and Ted, you've done a show uh, in regard to mental illness for a long time and mental health and such what, what do you think these two are going to go through i mean we know what we've gone through all as a as a nation as a country as a world dealing with covid what do you think these people are going to deal
3: with well let's put it this way from what i understand they were in a jail cell that was three meters by three meters that ain't too big um so just that lights alone, on your yeah, lights on all the time um you know, good for them, obviously, but boy, oh boy, I would suspect at some point this thing is going to uh, come back uh, at one way or another. I mean, it's got to, like, there's no way that, that you can sit there for over, what, a thousand days in a jail cell like that um, with the lights on so small and not be affected.
0: I heard one reporter refer to it as being under the stairs. Uh, Lisa, what are your thoughts? What do you think their biggest challenge is uh, now that they are back?
2: Um, I think the world has changed a huge amount since they were, yeah. you know, last free. I mean... The you know, the pandemic has really taken over everything. So certainly that's going to be a strange adjustment for them. Um, And I think it really kind of when you hear about the horrible conditions that they I mean, they were likely kept in. It kind of puts into perspective when people complain about, you know, being trapped in their homes during the pandemic and things like that. Mm. You know what? At least we weren't in that situation.
0: And again, we talk a lot about how this global pandemic has affected people's mental health and the seclusion and such, and, and, and being away from what we thought was the sense of normal for over a year and a half. Uh, imagine just under uh, three years, I mean, in, in even worse conditions.
3: And not really knowing or hearing yeah. for, from people about what Canada is doing for them, For for all they know. Uh, They were stuck in there. Maybe they got the impression that Canada wasn't doing anything. That's not the case. But how much were they told about what was going on? Probably not a lot.
0: I can't wait to hear their story and find out exactly how they did find out and how how quick all of that process was. Let me also ask both of you this. If we can put ourselves in their position... When you come home, when you are back at home with your family, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you would want?
2: Um, I, I mean, personally, if I'm thinking myself like that, that would be like three, three years or so. So yeah, mm-hmm. without without knowing seeing my nephews growing up. I mean, that would be heartbreaking for anyone. I don't, I don't know necessarily what their family situations are like. But I mean, you'd want to spend all your time with your family, definitely. And uh, just recovering and getting to getting reacquainted with them, I guess. I can't even imagine I can't even imagine so it's just horrifying to think yeah,
0: about. Yeah you have to you have to wonder how long it is before they do start to feel normal. I remember reading something on or seeing something on one of the other hostages that had been held with his wife and he said what was difficult for him when he first came back was turning the
3: light
2: off. Oh. He, he
3: couldn't get used
0: to sleeping with the lights off. Think about that.
2: Yeah. and you, Sorry, I'll let Ted go ahead. I mean, it's just horrifying.
3: I saw a story on the weekend from um, a former Canadian who was kept hostage in China. And the story he told um, was the next day... Uh, He got up and he thought, you know, I really want a Starbucks coffee and I can't say I blame him. So he went to the Mm. Starbucks and he was getting his coffee in line. He glanced over at the newspaper stand and there was his picture on the front page of the paper saying he's free. When he finally realized, oh, this really is a big story.
2: That would be surreal.
3: Yep.
0: Wow, that is incredible, unbelievable. And uh it's going to be fascinating to see what moves uh, how these two move forward, uh how they uh reintegrate themselves into society and what it is they decide to do uh for a living moving forward. I mean, and and how long does that take? A year? two years it could it could take almost as long as they were in uh, captivity all right let's move on i want to ask you quickly your uh, your thoughts on uh, the green party leader enemy paul resigning uh, obviously a very well-spoken woman uh, certainly qualified for the job and uh, now walks the plank with her party
3: do you think she'll get picked up by another party no i think there's too much uh um, I don't know, uh, too, too much baggage. It's it's almost like she's saying, yeah. you know, she, she doesn't really want to be a part of this going forward. So uh, without, you know, is she going to become a smaller liberal going that route? I don't see her going to the conservatives, obviously, maybe the NDP, but yeah. I don't know. I, I just think uh, every party has her own uh, people and their own candidates. And, and I think she's probably uh, going on to hopefully bigger and better things. You think she's tarnished on politics,
8: Lisa?
2: I think I think it sounds like she's just been like had her spirit broken. I think you said that or someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's she sounds so, and it's really heartbreaking because she seems like a really passionate person who's very intelligent, but it's just. Party politics is something that once you get involved in that, it just kind of, it tarnishes whatever you set out to do. And I think even the people who have the best intentions, you know, politics can, it's really cruel. And it's really a shame because some of the people who would be most qualified to be politicians, uh, they won't get involved. Why bother? They they see what happens when you do. It's It's
3: a blood sport is what it is. It's horrible. I
2: wouldn't want to do it.
3: No, absolutely not. Now obviously provincially the green
0: parties have remained strong across the country the federal party obviously struggling uh, where does it go moving forward is the green party dead and now that other parties have green policy is are they still relevant
2: that's I mean yeah it's hard to tell I mean they they did get the federal greens in anyway in this past election they got what two seats mm-hmm. uh um, actually I have friends who live in the riding in Kitchener where uh, where that uh that MP was elected it, but it's you know two two seats in the House of Commons like it, it's it's nothing compared to when you see the rest of the rest of the landscape the political landscape and everything that's I, I don't know I really it's hard to tell and uh, unfortunately federal politics is not my ballywix so yeah but would... it's
0: gonna be fascinating to see if like the provincial parties they can establish some sort of policy beyond the green movement which is where the federal party seem yeah, to be that's uh, what they have difficulty. to do
2: yeah the
0: juice only Is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900-CHML. Of course, over the weekend, the world was spinning on the news that the two Michaels uh, had touched down in Canada after almost three years in captivity uh, in a Chinese prison. Let's bring in Steve Jordans, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. He is with us now. Steve, thank you for the time. I hope you're well.
9: Yeah, I hope you're well, too, Scott.
0: Steve, many said that uh, they were surprised how good the two Michaels looked. Are they?
9: Well, I mean we don't know. Um it's possible. I mean a critical question for a lot of sort of psychological scars, shall we say, from some event is whether at some point during all of this they felt in mortal fear. Did did they literally feel that you know, some uh, some event could be the end of their life, and especially if that happened in a sort of dramatic way. Um, you know, suddenly something popped up and they had the feeling, oh, my God, I'm about to die. That is a very powerful, that's what leaves a lot of the PTSD t- kind of scars. Um, but some people can go through really miserable things But if that misery is just sort of not feeling like your life is about to end and doesn't have that dramatic nature to it, they can come out of it at the end, you know, sometimes even stronger than they went in.
0: Is there anything you can tell from what you've seen, although we've obviously seen very little?
9: Yeah, no, very hard. I mean, it's important sometimes to get a sense of how PTSD works because it's actually, you know, the, often these things are the brain doing something that used to be beneficial. And, and back in the day, the dangers that used to threaten us used to just sort of pop out from behind the bushes, literally, br- um, predators and some such. And when we feel that that scare, our body gets ready to fight or flee, but it also tries to prepare us for the next time so it kind of records any information or anything that was relevant just before the predator popped out and in the future we'll get scared from that like if we smell or we hear that sound we already get the fight or flight that's what happens with post ptsd so for them the question will really be you know do we see them reactive to some stimulus is there something that caused that was associated with that fear if they if, if they felt that fear um, and will it trigger it now that they 're out of that situation
0: um, uh, one of the one of the that. former hostages was commenting on how for him, it was difficult for him to sleep with the light off because they had the light on for so long
9: oh yeah. I mean, uh, th- there's no doubt they probably went through some really, really horrible things, and a lot of uh, associations will be formed between things like light switches and, and horrible feelings. And, and so they probably will have to break some of those associations again as they start to you know, get back into the the current world and, and re-experience things that are now benign, like the ability to turn lights on or off. Um, and so there's, pr- there's probably no doubt that they're going to have a, a pretty hard adjustment period for a while, at the same time, I suspect they, they feel a level of relief that they haven't, you know, they've been living in limbo for so, so very long. Um, I, I suspect that they're willing to do this sort of process of, of reacclimating because of how positive they probably feel about just being out.
0: Why is keeping the lights on 24-7 torture? What does that do to you?
9: Uh, well, you know, really, honestly, anything that disturbs sleep in any regular way, um, if if we just uh, pre- prevent people from sleeping for any long period of time, they slowly go crazy. It, it is really psychologically yeah. uh, problematic. So a lot of the loud music stuff they'll sometimes do, leaving the lights on, you know, whatever, keeping it colder than, than you would like, not giving you enough blankets. These are sort of subtle torture techniques that really make it really hard for you to sleep. And, and that really is difficult on you psychologically, for sure.
0: What is the role of the family at this point? How can they help?
9: Uh, uh, so, so, you know, the most important thing often when anybody is, is struggling through some difficult emotional issues is to learn how to be an active listener. Uh, and it's not natural for us. We're so used to being sort of participant in a conversation where the person sort of gives us their view and then we give them our view and it goes back and forth in that sort of way. Active listening is all about letting that other person talk and really trying to understand what they're saying and seeing things from their perspective. So, you know, maybe asking questions, but asking questions just to better understand what they're saying and where they're from, not not to offer our perspective or our view um, it's important to be very non-judgmental in these cases. Now, I mean, these guys weren't obviously to blame in any way for the situation they ended up in. Um, but as they kind of tell stories, you want to just kind of allow them to lead, allow them to define the space they're comfortable um, being in. And if you're showing what we call unconditional positive regard, you're just letting this person know, hey, we love you. We're, we, we love to have you back. We know you're going to have some struggles. And we're there to listen um, and to and not to solve your problems, not to suggest solutions, but to allow you to explore the problem space with it, with a loving ear, so to speak, um, there beside you. What
0: about missing two, you know, two almost three years of their life? Now, I guess anybody in, in any sort of incarceration would, would experience the same thing, but at least they know what's going on in the outside world and what their fate is. In, in this case, they didn't know anything. So what about coming back to a world three years later? And not only that, it's, you're in the midst of a global pandemic.
9: Yeah, I mean, at least a year and a half that they missed was probably the worst year and a half of Michael's existence. But, but yeah, I mean, they've really emerged from this level of uncertainty. You know, not knowing what was happening outside, not knowing what was happening to themselves. The brain loves to be able to predict things. It loves to be able to use knowledge to kind of prepare what's going to happen next. And these people have had no idea that Michael is what's going to happen next. So they've been living, I'm sure, in this form of chronic stress. Um, that suddenly has been relieved. You know, suddenly they they know they're in a safe place, um, and and they have a sense that they're they're going to be okay through all this. It's got to be a little bit of a whiplash um, kind of effect, mm. and you know, often. We used to think of people coming back from war, and, and we thought, oh, they're coming back from a horrible situation to a great one. They're all going to feel great, mm-hmm. but it's a really different one. And and it takes sometimes, you know, they've been living in a, in a different way for three years, and it's going to take them a, a while to acclimate to, to things like freedom. Um, that will be an odd concept for them and it'll take them a while to slowly ease into it again
0: yeah we were talking earlier with the roundtable uh, about what they would have missed or what they want to do first but it would be those very simple things in life wouldn't it
9: yeah i mean i i am betting they're loving being around their family and just feeling that you know when we often talk about this Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and the bottom sort of level of that I mean, the bottom level is food and shelter and all that kind of stuff but above that we want to feel secure and safe and they haven't felt secure and safe for three years. And so my, my assumption is the thing they're loving the most right now is the feeling that they're going to be all right, and they're surrounded by people who love them. Uh, they will probably gradually start to socialize more, but it wouldn't surprise me if their social networks remain quite small at first uh, and, and it stays close to the ones that love them most and that they love most.
0: look at us even coming out of a pandemic you can only imagine what it must be like for them
9: yeah it's absolutely yeah yeah, for for the brain to suddenly go from one of those situations to another yeah it's going to take it's going to you know they will be numb for a while i suspect i suspect you know we often hear people who won i don't know the world cup or something and, Mm. and they say oh i haven't really processed it yet it's going to take these guys a while to process, um, you know what happened in the last few days. I think, but but the good news is it's a, it's the right, it's a good ending. So we're yeah. also thankful to have them back.
0: Steve Jordan's with us, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, talking about the mental condition of the two Michaels now that they are on home soil. Steve, thanks for the time and insight. Be well.
9: You too. Thank you.
0: Let's bring in Christian Leprack, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, and is with us now. Christian, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
8: A pleasant afternoon
0: to you. Uh, Will we ever find out from the two Michaels what exactly it was like in that Chinese, or in those Chinese prisons for them? Will we hear those details, do you think?
8: I would have to guess that there'll be some languishing trauma from that experience and that it may take them some time uh, to be able to talk publicly about just what they experienced and the impact that that probably the lifelong ramifications that both of them are going to live with so that um, the authoritarian uh, regime in Beijing could satisfy um, its hunger for political extortion in Canada. And so I suspect eventually... um, they will be able to speak. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if currently the government might actively be dissuading them from doing so for fear that it might um, cause, be, have inflammatory consequences for the relationship with China. That clearly the current government is looking to soft pedal um, for political reasons um, that it has chosen. Uh, So I suspect in the near future, we will not hear a whole lot about their particular circumstances. But I suspect in the medium term, uh, when conditions are more propitious, um, that uh, they will come forward.
0: Now that they are out, will our policy towards China change? How should it change?
8: Look, this is not a government that has uh, shown particular resolve on the China file. Uh, And it took, I mean, significant um, public uh, shifts in public opinion. For this government to start to draw a slightly harder uh, attack um, on China, and so I would say, like one of the challenges, of course, this government doesn't have a China strategy. You know, we're like on some areas we compete, on some areas China is an adversary, on some areas China is a um, is a is a is is cooperative and is a collaborator, but of course, that's not a strategy. What are we trying to achieve? Where do we want to be with China 10, 20 years from now? How are we actually going to achieve those ends? That's completely missing and completely absent in Ottawa. Um, And of course, when you're talking about a country uh, that is as powerful as China, that is intent on overthrowing the international order as we know it, muddling through is not an option. But that's, of course, precisely what the government in Ottawa is trying to do, hoping that it can somehow find a middle course that's going to keep everybody happy.
0: Talk about the timing of this, because we said on Friday that, you know, even after uh, even after uh, the Huawei CFO uh, arrives at a deferred prosecution agreement, that it will still be a while before the two Michaels are out. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, Is there any doubt this is hostage diplomacy? How does the world view this now?
8: Yeah, so I think the immediate release of the two Michaels um, was a signal by China to try to make the case of moral equivalence of detention of Ms. Meng um, and Michael Kovac and Michael Spauver. And of course, people like me have argued for three years that there's no moral equivalency whatsoever in the detention. So uh, I think the the value of continuing to detain them decreased dramatically once uh, Ms. Meng was out of the country. And so China, I think, decided to cut its losses. What's really interesting is, if you look at the Chinese propaganda, there is no mention of the two Michaels. There is no mention of them having been released and having been returned to Canada. And that suggests to me uh, that uh, this is the the release is purely for external consumption in terms of moral equivalence. Um, that there was no mileage to be gained internally uh, on those two cases, and so propaganda has decided to cut their losses.
0: Uh, And and when they did mention it, as you said, the two main state media did not mention it. However, in others, they did and said it was their health was the reason for letting them go.
8: So uh, look, obviously they have to find sort of some uh, reason, some excuse, and yeah. you know when you've locked people up and basically solitary confinement for three years, inherently you can always make an argument that their health, especially their mental health, would be withering, and none of us should be surprised at that. I mean, we've had our own experiences in Ontario here uh, in much less rigorous circumstances of uh, of issues with solitary confinement, which is especially basically what uh, what they were subject to. So uh, um, you know. If- You can always find a reason and excuse. The problem really here is now that the government in Ottawa has, of course, always instrumentalized uh, the issue of the detention of the two Michaels for soft padding the relationship with China. And so now that it doesn't have the two Michaels to lean on anymore, the question is, how can Canada continue to justify uh, this extremely lenient approach that it has taken with china now is the opportunity to double down with our allies and to make sure that we actually contain china uh, in its unacceptable behavior
0: many were asking when the decision would be made on huawei and 5g and what that would be really what's in this for us is now the question why would we
8: why would we do business with a company that is complicit on a vast global scale of human rights abuses, from Xinjiang to enabling a regime such as the one of Lukashenko in Belarus. Why would we do business with a company where an equivalent Canadian company would never be allowed to compete for access to networks in China because China will only allow its own companies to provide equipment for its networks. Why would we try to let a company that receives hundreds of millions of dollars of state subsidies that can therefore unfairly compete um, uh, into our markets and, and, and purchase their wares? And why would we let a company who switches in our internet and our wireless telephone towers would then be subject to manipulation by a rival adversarial power that can then slow down our internet, exfiltrate data, manipulate data. Why would we let that sort of company into our internet and our World Wide Web infrastructure? I have no idea. Christian Leprac with
0: us, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute. Christian, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well.
8: My pleasure. Thank you, Scott.
0: If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Uh, This is a little odd, especially when we think of what has happened in the retail industry uh, prior to COVID-19. Zellers, remember that? Making a comeback? What's this all about? Let's bring in Bruce Winder, retail expert, consultant, professor, and entrepreneur. He is with us now. Bruce, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
10: Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the program.
0: So what's going on here? These are pop-up stores within the Hudson Bay stores. We're seeing one at Burlington Mall here close to home. Uh, Are you surprised at this?
10: Yeah, I was pretty surprised by it, to be honest. I think it's more of a publicity stunt, if anything, like just to get some PR, because you know, the pop-up store they have, and it's really taking one floor of their Bay store and sort of, you know, putting up some signage that looks like Zeller's and painting the floor, put some tape on the floor. But, you know, the assortment, I would beg, is not really a Zeller's assortment, not a discount assortment. You know, and I think it probably confuses the Bay consumer, if anything.
0: Does it cheapen the Bay brand as a result? Because it is, uh, a, a, uh, you know, obviously a low-cost, uh, was a low-cost store.
10: Yeah, I think it does. I think you make a good point. I mean, you know, if you're going to the Bay to buy something, You're not the Zeller's customer. You're not the typical Zeller's customer. So it sort of downgrades the Bay a little bit. Um, I think it confuses the customer, and I think that, you know, it's really not going to do a lot for anyone except create, you know, something on the news cycle for a few days, and that's about
0: it. That being said, Bruce, it is in the news cycle. It has generated some publicity, but what does Hudson Bay do with that? I mean, now that you've got everybody's attention, or do you think maybe they were even surprised they got it?
10: Yeah, I'm not even sure. I mean, you know, they might have been surprised they got it. But, you know, I mean, one can argue that you could take the Zeller's brand and sort of reimagine it as a bit of a dollar store these days because dollar stores are popular, right? So, you know, you could say, hey, could they license it to someone or could they open up a few dollar stores that were sort of like Zeller's except maybe a little cheaper, you know, maybe like a giant tiger-type price point in between Dollarama and Walmart. You know, that's that's sort of something on paper that – could be researched, but you know, that's about all you think you could do with the Zeller's brand at this point is try to go after consumers who are you know, very, uh, looking for great value at dollar stores and things of that nature. That might be your only play on this. I mean, let's face it. Some people do remember Zeller's. I mean, it does have some cachet. People love the restaurant there and some of the things. But overall, Zeller's, Zeller's had a lot of baggage, too, in terms of you know the last few years the chain was alive. It wasn't exactly performing at the top of its
6: game.
0: Are they test driving something here? I mean, is there some sort of subtle relaunch coming or changing their space in some way? It's because, will we see more of this store within a store?
10: Well, I think what they're trying to do is, I mean, HBC Hudson's Bay has a lot of room they don't need. So if you look at the size of their stores, they just, they're not productive anymore, right? So, So they have all this room that they don't need. And they've been working on trying to do something with that space for several years now, whether it's farming it out to WeWork, or you know, adding other uh, brands or other type of uh, subletting it to other people. So I think they're just kind of poking around with this to see what'll happen. But I, you know, could they could they launch this on a on a floor in the Bay? They could. Would it work? Probably not, though, because people who are going to discount stores probably don't go to the malls that the Bay is in. They're going more to the discount malls.
0: So now that we are, I think it's about eighty weeks <laughs> into this. Uh, yeah. Post-pandemic, we've talked a lot about this, Bruce, what the world look, looks like coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you see with retail now post-pandemic? What do you see happening?
10: Well, I see, I mean, it's going to be a very confusing time. I mean, one of the things that worries me the most is as the government subsidies kind of fade out now in terms of subsidizing, you know, businesses' rent and retailers' wages and things like that, I worry that we're going to see a huge surge of bankruptcies uh, after after the holiday Um e-commerce has grown significantly. Um it's really proven itself as a major channel now for obvious reasons. People like the assortment and the price and the convenience. So I think you're gonna see probably a change up in terms of some folks are gonna probably bow out when the subsidies come. But a whole bunch of new businesses will be born too. Retail will continue to exist, it'll just change. You'll probably see some consolidation, you'll probably see some brick and mortar stores close, but you know, a whole new breed of brands will come up and they're going to sort of thrive in the new normal.
0: It's interesting. We do a small business feature every day, just highlighting how businesses have gotten through this. And it's amazing, Bruce, how many have started up during this.
10: It's true. You know what? A lot of people, whether they lost their job, you know, their white collar or blue collar job or whatever collar job. And they said, you know, I got to do something with my life or they have a dream. And there's a lot of folks to make it easy. Now, if you look at Shopify and Amazon and Lightspeed, there's all kinds of companies that were built to help small entrepreneurs i call it micro retailing but everyone's sort of trying to sell something now right so whether it's online or through a store you're seeing lots of people jump into the game
0: Hmm. bruce winder with retail expert uh consultant professor and entrepreneur zellers making a comeback well sort of inside hudson bay uh, at least at the burlington mall location bruce thanks for the time and insight much appreciated be well. Yeah, take care. You too. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, which follows this one. And, of course, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, how are you? I hope you're doing well. Scott? Do we have some? No, I guess we don't have Scott. Uh, <laughs> did you get him in his bunker? Tell him to come out. I think that to, must be it. Uh, tell him to come out and get into the backyard, sit on the front porch, and just his cell phone. He doesn't have all right uh I'm gonna talk to uh scott in here oh, he me? is oh there we go
7: scott are you there someone hung up on me man i didn't even say anything this time and i already got
5: hung up on lies and slander
0: <laughs> uh, clearly you're gonna have to take that up with will later all right uh let me ask you this scott and, and thank you for taking the time we greatly appreciate this as we always do uh the two michaels obviously home we saw this uh great footage over the weekend of of uh, re- reuniting their families and such. Uh, obviously, with this happening so quickly, I don't think it's any uh, word of a doubt that it is hostage uh, diplomacy. Does this change anything as far as the Beijing Games? Will this will this change mm. the Beijing Games debate?
7: This is uh, this is what we're going to be talking about in the first segment of my show, and uh, so I may as well warm up with it now. Partly, partly the Beijing Games, because Scott, look. I, the question to me becomes how does it not change things? And and, uh, you and I have talked about this before, and I have been very clear that I I have great respect and regard and sympathy for the athletes, for the time they put in, for the effort, for sacrificing, you know, four years plus of their lives and on and on and on. But I just don't know at this point when something that happened on the weekend that was so nakedly, like the the Chinese government didn't even try to pretend. And this is what really caught me off guard. Because on my show on Friday night, I was talking with Scott Urquhart from Cable 14 from the Hamilton Network, and we we're saying the Michaels will get out now, but they're going to delay this for a bit to make it look good. That's so what we all said, yeah. To to do it so absolutely nakedly, not ashamed at all, and then I mean, try to say that it has nothing to do with it. But come on, I mean, I, I maybe they maybe they really do think we're all idiots. But it, it's just it's such a. clear connection. And as you describe it, hostage politics or whatever. I I don't know if the Beijing Olympics are going to be affected, but how does something not, how do the Western countries as a group not take a position on something here and say, look, if it can happen to the two Michaels who are the Canadians, surely it could happen to someone who's Belgian or someone who's Finnish or someone who's Australian or something. I mean, pick your country.
0: I don't, know how, I don't know how countries will feel safe sending a contingent to the Games. I mean, you know, you could say, wow, it's not going to happen to athletes. It's in the middle of the Games. Well, we could have never thought this would have happened either. And
7: that's right. And you and I, I know, I remember we had a conversation before, and that exact point was made, which was the Chinese government wouldn't be cocky enough or arrogant enough or whatever the word is to actually grab an athlete. When the entire uh, when the eyes of the entire world are on them, they couldn't possibly. And I really believed when I said that 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 was the case. And yet now that they've shown that they don't really care what we think, not not even to the point where they're going to put on a show. Like they just they couldn't care less because it's almost like, well, what are you going to do about it? It's like the bully at school. I take your lunch. You know what, What Scott? I heard.
0: I heard a great analogy from a reporter on CTV news and I'm paraphrasing this, but you know what she said over the course of the weekend, she said having a relationship and I'm paraphrasing, having a relationship with China is like having a relationship with an abusive husband and you're trying to do your best to make it work for the kids. And I thought, wow, that is an impactful Mm -hmm. statement. Yeah, that's,
7: that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty strong. It pretty harsh. And, 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 you know, that's a that's a tough one to be dancing with but I'll, I'll say this again just even the schoolyard bully and you know sometimes what was the thing that now i know we live in a different time now and no one likes schoolyard violence and all the rest but when you were a kid what was the what was the view that was always taken the way to stop the bully is to take him on and we certainly don't have the capacity just canada to take on china
0: but we're but again, not even standing up with our allies. We're doing something completely different than what the other allies are doing. They're just looking for our support.
7: I I just wonder how any free country right now looks at this. And I know that, like, for all the other countries, it wasn't them, so they don't have to be. It's not the same. But it could be them. If it, if it can happen to Canada, it can happen to them. And I don't know how everybody doesn't have this giant get-together meeting, all the Western democracies and say you know what we can't do this individually canada can't and Liechtenstein can't and all the rest of these you know maybe lichtenstein's a bad example it is the second smallest country in the world but you get my point all these countries can't do anything by themselves but as a group you know what maybe there's something that can be done and back to where you started this maybe that is the beijing olympics maybe that is the point where they've now Trumpeted. China has now trumpeted. The government has trumpeted that they were using hostage diplomacy. Maybe this is the time to say we as a, we will not recognize that. And as a result, our fears, whether we are fearful of this or not, but our fears that China will do something to grab one of our athletes or our leaders or our coaches, we are refusing to go. Yeah. I, I I don't think that any of the countries honestly have the cojones to do that but, boy, it would seem that it's about time to have that discussion.
0: More on this with the Scott Radley Show tonight after the news and, obviously, uh, host of the Scott Radley Show and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. As always, Scott, thanks for the time. Have a great show. You too, Scott. That is a wrap for ours. Thanks for listening. Greatly appreciated. Thanks to Ted and Lisa and Will for producing. Coming up next, it's the CHML Afternoon News and then the Scott Radley Show. Hang on for that. And as always... As we do on Hamilton Today, we leave it to you, the good CHML listener, to have the last word.
9: The whole world got so upset with China because yeah. of uh, the actions that they took that tend to come
8: out smelling like a rose instead of anything else. <laughs>